0: Do my little turn on the catwalk. Yeah, on the catwalk. On the catwalk. Yeah, do my little turn on the catwalk. Julia, who are we talking with today? <laughs> I don't know, Anya. I feel like there are a number of people we should be
1: talking to right now.
0: <laughs> probably, I should probably be talking to a therapist.
1: <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. I think I can see Ruthie in the background <laughs> picking up 311. <3-1-1. laughs> Um so today we are talking to Aaron Hancocks. Aaron is one of the directors of this really fun, quirky, I would just say generally delightful documentary film called Catwalk. And Catwalk follows a number of cat competitors on the Canadian cat beauty pageant circuit. I think I got that right.
0: I you did get it right because I watched the film, so good job. <laughs> I'm excited excited to chat with him. I I just hope that people stay tuned long enough after after that little singing uh, that I did and that they actually listen to the interview now.
1: I mean, that's the great thing about audience data metrics, right? (laughs) We'll see if there's a massive drop-off after the intro. For those of you who stuck around, uh, we're excited to introduce you to Aaron. And yeah, let's do this.
2: Yeah. Yeah. My fancy setup is all, is all like hardware based. And, um, I, yeah, I think it just crashed Riverside, <laughs> but this is fun. <laughs> this is fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. This is so exciting. Like I, I was thrilled when your team wrote back, I was like, this seems like maybe a bit of a long shot, but we'll see if they write back and if they're interested.
2: Of course. Always happy to, to talk about, uh, about cats and fancy cats, with that. So
1: <laughs> fancy
0: cats, fancy cats. Yes, I guess Aaron um, the fanciest you, of cats. Oh, sorry, how <laughs> do go for it? I was just gonna say they were definitely the fanciest of cats
1: that I've seen.
2: Oh yeah,
1: so it's, fancy uh, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, you know to kick it off, Aaron. You know, thank you so much for you know joining for influencers. Um, to begin, can you tell us you know, who you are and what is this film called Catwalk that you helped make?
2: Sure. Um, I am a, a filmmaker, director, producer based in Toronto, and I work with a company called Markham Street Films, and we're a really small company. it's about five of us. Uh, I'm also a cat daddy, um, big-time cat lover, and I... Um, Years ago now, I think it was probably about five years ago, I first came onto the idea for Catwalk when I was at this big fair in Toronto. That's this huge; um, it's got amusement parks and all kinds of uh, disgusting, greasy food to eat, and it's called the Exhibition. And it's every summer at the end of August in Toronto. And I was walking around with my then girlfriend, now wife, and. Uh, I was not having a good time because I'm a a bit of a sissy when it comes to rides. Um, (laughs) I have motion sickness, but I saw this very cute kind of homemade looking sign that said cat show this way, and um, that sounded more up my alley. And I followed the yellow brick road, and lo and behold, I came upon this amazing world of really fancy cats and extremely devoted um, exhibitors who are the humans. And I thought that the humans were just as interesting as the cats. And I just took out my iPhone and I started filming what I was seeing right away so that I could run back to the office on Monday and say, you'll never believe what I found. I, we have to make a movie about this.
0: That So do you remember what type of cats were there in this little show that you saw initially?
2: Yeah. I mean, it, it was probably a lot of what you saw in the movie. So I think um, – there tend to be a lot of Maine Coons, um, and I think there there probably would have been Persians like Ulala. La, La. Um, and those are the those are kind of the I, those are the real showstoppers the, the Maine Coons and the Persians. Um, so yeah, I mean, once you see a cat like Ulala, La, I mean, come on, you have to uh, you have to pick up a camera. She just loves to be photographed. She's a star and. She knows it. And uh, yeah, Uh, definitely different from my scrappy uh, rescue cats that I have at
1: home. (laughs) And for folks who haven't seen the film, could you summarize, like, what is Catwalk? What is it about? And who are the main characters, both feline and human?
2: Sure. Uh, Catwalk is a wild ride of a journey through the competitive cat show circuit. Cat shows are part of a hobby called "The Cat Fancy," which is essentially confirmation or, or beauty shows for cats. And uh, the film explores that world by zeroing in on an epic rivalry between two very different cats and very different owners. There's Ulala, this prize-winning, fluffy red Persian and her kind of quiet, yet really steely, determined owner, Shirley. And her chief competitor is Bobby, a lovable, outgoing uh, Turkish Angora who's very athletic and gregarious and not frilly and, um, and floofy at all. And he's owned by a woman named Kim, who is a very, very competitive, loud, uh, and funny woman who wears her heart and her emotions on her on her sleeve. And the film follows the two cats and their owners going forward to what becomes like a photo finish to see who's really going to be crowned the top cat in Canada.
0: So when you brought this idea to your production company and you said, I, I know something that we should make. I have a, s- a story about cats and these pageants, essentially, that they're in, what was the reaction of the people at your company? Did they get it right away? Are they cat people internally at your company too? Uh,
2: no, i'm I'm the cat person at the company, so I, I took it to um, I took it to the owners of the company who are my partners really in all of this, uh, Michael McNamara and Judy Holm. And um, Judy especially said, Oh yeah, yeah yeah, I can I can this is going to sell. I can see this working really nicely. Uh I didn't even have a story yet. I just had the world. I said like, you know, it, it's rare that you walk into a world, a space, a hobby or something where you just know like you can't go wrong. Like like you can't make a bad movie about this. You can make a great movie or you can make a so-so movie, but you can't make a bad movie about such a uh, you know, a fun, interesting world. Um so yeah, I was pretty much like go ahead right away, you know, go ahead and, and find out how to make the movie. Uh, and it was only after talking to people and, and researching that I realized kind of by dumb luck that we had stumbled on this amazing rivalry, which was already ongoing. We, we started filming like halfway through the season and it was, we were just the right place at the right time. People involved with the, the hobby said, well, you've, you've come at a good time because this cat Bobby Started out, you know, cleaning everybody's clock. He won every single competition. And then this cat, ooh la la, effectively came out of retirement where she had been competing in the U S and much bigger competitions to as just kind of a lark, just for fun. And she started with a lot of room to make up and very quickly started catching up. So they said it's going to be like a thrilling conclusion. And so, uh, and it was.
0: Do do the people that participate in these events like it being called a hobby or do they view it as something much more important and bigger than a hobby?
2: Well, they, yeah, I think they do. It's, I mean, I think for a lot of these people, it's everything to them. It's uh, their life and their best friends are involved with the hobby. They call it the fancy. It's called the cat fancy. Um, nobody seems to know why it's called that. And so my best guess is that it's because the cats are fancy, but (laughs) I don't know why they say, you know, I love the fancy. I've met my best friends through the fancy. I've, I've, you know, met my spouse through the fancy and it's, it is really a tight knit group. And because it's so time intensive and these people are getting together many weekends, you kind of have to have friends in the fancy, otherwise you'll never see friends. But for them, it, yeah, calling it a hobby is almost a disservice because they've made so many sacrifices and skipped weddings and important family events to attend these uh, shows, really.
1: And that and really comes you, when... through. Oh, sorry, Anya. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Julia. I, I It really came through, not just with the main characters, but with everybody else who you see in this film. You know, obviously we're following you know, Ooh La, La and Bobby and, you know, their families, but we also meet all these other people along the way. And you can tell they are totally dedicated to their cats. They are totally dedicated to these competitions. They know each other. They know the judges. They know the spaces. They've got their tables set up. They have their crates designed a certain way. I mean, it just, it oozed passion. And for some people, it was clearly their purpose. Their purpose is to be at these cat competitions and trying to win them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Some of these people also breed cats too, and the shows are an opportunity for them to kind of take out their favorite cats or or to show the best of their breeding. You know, they've been tweaking things and working at home to try and produce the perfect cat really according to the this the standard according to the standard of that breed and so for them it's the ultimate confirmation not just for the cat but for themselves right it's it's a big time validation
0: yeah it definitely I I I got the sense that their personal identities were very attached to the how well these cats performed in these competitions and and also this desire for other people to see the beauty that they see in their cats that that you they they really really were striving for everyone to see. My cat is the best; it's the most beautiful. And I imagine from just like a mental side of things that that can take a toll on someone over over time, especially if you're putting that much time, energy, and resources into showcasing your cats.
2: Absolutely. And, and, you know, there's a certain level of sub- subjectivity to the judging, too. Like there are breed standards. You do know that, you know, um, um, uh, a rat like a ragdoll cat must have blue eyes, for example. And if the, your ragdoll doesn't have blue eyes, it can't be competing in the ragdoll category It'd have to compete in like the, what's called the household pet category. So those things are pretty cut and dry. But there's a lot of subjectivity. As you can see in the movie, one judge might place Bobby over Ulala, and then the next judge might place Ulala way over Bobby and place Bobby like seventh out of, out of 10. And so I think if you're really invested in it, it's hard not to take it personally at a certain point when you've invested so much of your time and frankly, your money to travel somewhere, stay in a hotel, get your cat groomed, and and put your best out there. You know, it's, um, it would, and the thing I like to think about it is it's like, you're all, they're all artists, you know, and they have a painting and the painting's being Mm -hmm. judged except that the painting is a pet. It's a living thing with a soul, which also, you know, loves them back. And, and they have, they have that, you know, that love and that connection. So not to put down other hobbies with inanimate Mm -hmm. objects or with art, but, it's kind of a little bit more of an emotional thing when it's your pet and 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 you love it um the closest thing i could think of would be like if you if you were a parent and your kid was figure skating i mean your your kid is out there but really like you're the one that's that's coaching them and trying to get everything perfect and it's also very subjective right like there's Mm -hmm. a certain amount of kind of creative leeway that the the judges take and um and that gets that gets very emotional and touchy
0: with the owners of the cats that put so much into this, and you're talking about the sacrifices that they made, did were you able to learn about the familial side of their relationships and if them being part of this and so heavily involved impacted their interpersonal relationships at home?
2: Yeah, certainly, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something we couldn't really get into in the in the movie, but certainly it came up in all the interviews, which is that almost everybody has made crazy sacrifices, um, and I don't mean that in a pejorative way. I mean like impressive sacrifices. Um, in some cases, a lot of uh, a lot of these people don't have children, and um, this the animals are really their children, you know, and, um, that for listeners of your podcast, that won't be a stretch for most of them. I mean,
0: it's not a stretch for us. We don't have children. (laughs) We treat our dogs like our children. Yeah. I mean,
2: (laughs) I I have a four month old baby and I, I still treat my cats like my children, you know, it doesn't, it hasn't changed anything for me. Um, um, so yeah, and, you know, you'd do anything for your children. You know, most parents would. And that's, those are the stakes that our characters think about. So when it comes to, you know, a christening or a baptism or a wedding or a, a funeral, our characters have to make really tough decisions. And generally they choose to put their own family first. And that includes their 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 pets. Um not to mention, this is like a really expensive hobby. The travel alone can be tens and tens of thousands of dollars a year. So it takes an incredible amount of sacrifice. So when they walk up at the end of the year and they hoist that trophy, it's a huge validation, not just for their, their work and, and the, the confirmation of how good their cat is, but it means that all that money and time and, and, and missed familial events were worth it.
0: Did you, did you sense at all with the owners of these cats that I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase this, but that it was more about the owners and less about the cats in terms of the validation that they got. If that, if that makes sense, like obviously they love and adore their cats, but there's something that is about that person too, that they need to get out of this from a personal standpoint for it to be worth it for them to continue doing this.
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. And, and it's a sliding scale, I'd say for the people in the film and you know, the audience, they could probably infer which characters are more personally invested or get more personal validation than others. But to be honest, I love cats and cats are really smart animals with a soul I don't know that many of the cats care how well they do at these shows, (laughs) you know? um,
0: Yeah. It's funny that you say that though, because Ooh La La, when she was talking about, Oh, she's not ready to retire yet. I was like, there was a part of me that (laughs) was like, does she even know what she's really participating in or what she's doing?
2: (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. Like some cats, you look at them and they really do seem to enjoy when they're on the podium. They seem to like being handled by the judge and that's one of the judging criteria uh, criterion. Um, So that's, that, that is interesting, but I mean, you know, for Bobby, he's a beautiful cat, uh, but he's not competing anymore. uh, Or is he, you'll have to see the sequel, but um, um, you know, in his, when he's not competing, he's quite happy lying around the house, getting fat and not being in show shape. And, and you know, he's living the life. But, yeah, I you know, as I said, I think for, for Kim especially and, and, and for Shirley too, you know, she's, she, that's Ulala's um, owner. I I think it's fair to say they get more out of it and, and they wouldn't disagree for them. They'd point to the whole social side of it too, that their best friends are in the hobby too. So they could just spend the whole show weekend, you know, not exhibiting and and they'd probably still have a great time, but having the validation of their cats being recognized certainly, um, certainly helps. And as I think Elaine, one of the judges says in the film, Nobody competes to lose, you know. Nobody's doing this just to kill time, because um, there's a lot of better ways to kill time that are less expensive. So yeah, I, I think for the most part, the people do get more out of it.
1: Something that I always find interesting with unscripted stories about competitions is how the journalist or how the filmmaker gets the trust of the people who they're working with, because you're not just following one character, you're following you know, two main characters who are competing against each other. I'm curious, how did you get those two characters to agree to have you follow them so closely? And then I'm also curious how you gained the trust of their feline companions, because when I walk into a room, most cats run away. You know if it's because I smell like a dog. And I'm trying to imagine walking into a room now with a big camera and trying to follow the cat and that not necessarily going very well?
2: Well, that's an excellent question. I'll start with the cats. Um, this was one of the so we've made three, um, you know, four or five animal focused documentaries. And this was by far the easiest in terms of handling the cats because the cats are show cats. They've been socialized to be around people and they've been socialized to in some cases, pose for a camera. So when they see me holding a big camera with a giant lens in their face, they're, they're pretty well accustomed to it. And they I don't know if they like it, but they certainly don't mind it. Um, also, just from like a production point of view, a practical point of view, when cats are being judged, and even when they're um, being caged and waiting to go up and judged, they're, they're not on the ground, right? They are uh, they're being benched on... Um, On benches, So it's at waist level. So it's much easier to get images of these cats um, and to make it look good. Whereas we made a film about feral cats, uh, which was a radically different experience. We were trying to film cats that don't like humans or that are afraid of humans and that are living, you know, eating trash and living in the neighborhood. That was much harder to get good images of them. Um, When it comes to gaining the trust of people, that is like the one of the toughest challenges of being a documentary filmmaker and it's always a, it's always a challenge. And I think, I mean, speaking for Michael as well, we just try to come at it with like a really open mind and an open heart and um, get to know them as people and, you know, maybe reveal something about ourselves, which is a bit vulnerable and, and, and you earn, earn their trust. We have to earn it. It takes a long time. And most of our characters didn't exactly invite us over to their house right away. It was after months and months of going to these shows that we just became like one of them, frankly. So much so that when we stopped filming, they would tell us that it felt weird to not have us there at the show hall. It felt like something somebody was missing. And to this day, the because I have cats, Michael doesn't, they, um, our characters are always trying to get me to bring my own cats to the show. And, and participate, because um, it just feels like we've always kind of been there. Um, and, but everybody's different, right? Like, Kim is a very open person, and with the first day we were there, she was very happy to chat with us, and was really open, and um, you know, as she says, you know, I am who I am. You can love me or you can hate me, but I don't have a filter. Whereas, you know, most of the other characters, it took a little while, you know, showing up with a camera and a microphone can be really intimidating. I know I'd be intimidated if somebody showed up and did that to me. So it's tough, but it's uh, it's a process and it's something that I really take a lot of pride in.
0: How long did you film this documentary for? How long did it take to get everything that you needed until you felt like, all right, we have the we have everything we need for this? Yeah, I think...
2: It was, I think we filmed on and off for about seven months and then we started the edit and we went back and filmed more when we knew we, we needed more. So there's a few like cheats in there, which there are in, in every doc where, you know, we missed the beginning of the competition, right? I, I think I mentioned that um, when we started filming, um, we were about halfway through the season and uh, La was starting to gain ground on Bobby. So we had to kind of film stuff after the fact to help fill in that, that backstory. And so we ended up filming the second half of one season and like the first third of the following season to make it kind of feel like one full season. Um, Yeah. So it was a long time.
1: Sorry. Go ahead, Julia. There we go. Sorry. (laughs) Mike's my God. Um, Something else that I was wondering, you know, because as I, I was watching the film, I felt like I could tell which cats had star power. Like, ooh la <laughs> just had star power. Like, ooh la felt like a winner. And there were some other cats who popped up where they just had something about them. Is that nature or nurture? Do you think some cats are just born with it? Or do you think some of it's the <laughs> result of, you know, the owner grooming them every day and feeding them those little chicken hearts that we saw and, you know, the the training and the care... Like what makes a cat a star at the end of the day?
2: I think it's uh, a little bit of both for sure. You know, uh, personally, I'm not, um, I'm not a purebred cat guy. Like I have two rescue cats. Um, But when you see a cat that's bred according to a standard and is done really well, it's just, it kind of, it's just obvious, right? Oh, okay. Even to somebody that's not a cat person, when you see a Maine Coon and it's got the tufts on its ears, it has nice coloring and, and it's, you know, in really good shape, you kind of, you kind of know. Um, that being said, I mean, I think you're talking about the chicken hearts in the film. So Sabrina, the woman who breeds Maine Coons, she has star power as a, as a person. You know, she's got tons of charisma and she's also in the sequel. Uh, she's featured a lot. Um, and I think she just, she's got this aura about her that just pumps up her cats and she gives them so much love and, and, and so much confidence that I think they really are you know, show ready when they arrive. So I think it's a bit of both you know, the judges like to say, we just stick, we just read the breed standard. If, if, if the cat matches the breed standard, we're going to give it full marks. But when a cat's on the podium and it's shaking its butt or elevating its tail or, or, um, showing off and playing with a toy, the judges can't help but be moved by that presence. Right. Um, so yeah, you could say that Ooh La La is like the Freddie Mercury of the cat fancy.
0: Do you think a Sphinx cat could ever win one of these competitions?
2: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, you, don't, you don't really see a lot of them at, at, these, uh, at these competitions, but I think there's some associations where they're, they're bigger. Um, it's weird that that happens. There's actually a, I mean, a bunch of, of associations. There's TICA in, the, in the States, there's CFA in the States, and a bunch of others. Uh, we followed the Canadian... The Canadian cat association, right? CCA. Uh, in which there aren't a lot of sphinx, but absolutely they could. Um, there's different categories, right? So there's short hair and long hair. Obviously, a sphinx is no hair, right? Or short hair. Short they're,
0: hair. They're hairless, yeah. Hairless, right. They're yeah. hairless. It's like, it's like petting a. I My friend has a sphinx cat and the way that I best described it when I... It was the first time I ever pet one. uh, Just like a really squishy bald head.
2: i mean you know what there's all there are weirder cats than the sphinx that are at these competitions there's one what's it called there's like a werewolf cat that's new that's um showing a lot in one of the associations what's it called lycoy You should look up these cats i mean It's a face that only a mother could love. These are (laughs) really, really, really funky looking cats. But yeah, no, no, absolutely. So the Sphinx would would compete just like the Lykoi um, on a lot lot of different levels. So first they'd be judged according to the breed standard, and then they'd be judged in relation to their competition. So if only one Sphinx shows up, it would automatically win best of breed. So that's great. Um, And then Sphinx, as a no-hair, would be competing in, in short hair, and so it would be then judged according to the other short hairs, and then and so on and so forth. So um just to show you like how how many hurdles Ulala and Bobby had to get through, they first of all, Bobby beat out the other Turkish Angoras, and Ulala beat out the other Persians. Then they beat out the other, not just the other long hairs, but they also beat out all the short hairs. So even so, they, they really were the best of the best of the best of the best. It's like a pyramid going up, you know. So, um, th- yeah, they're they're really they're they're heavy hitters.
1: In terms of the style of the film, uh, I really when so one of the many things that I enjoyed about it was that you brought such a distinct style to the competition, especially the way that you highlighted some of the more humorous aspects of it, and you created you know drama and these just like wonderful moments using music design. I got a little bit of Wes Anderson at times. I got Chef's Table at other times. Who were your creative, you know, influences going into this project?
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think, I think Wes Anderson's pretty, uh, a pretty good touchstone in the kind of some of the framing, lots of headspace, you know, focusing on some you know, kind of pastel colors and, and the beauty within some of the mundane surroundings. Like, you know, we're filming in curling rinks, hockey arenas, and legion halls. Like, these are not pretty places. So um, there's a certain kind of aesthetic and look that's built in, and we just leaned into it. So we're not going to try and make this look like Madison Square Garden or whatever. Um, and, yeah, in terms of the style and the pacing and the music... Um, we 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 had so much fun like getting to know the characters in the competition that we said we have to elevate this and its presentation to show it for what we think it really is. And what I think a lot of the people like competing feel it is, which is pretty damn, it's like operatic. This is like, this is a clash of the titans, you know? Whereas if you were just to walk in off the street, I'm not going to lie. It, it's a very tame atmosphere, <laughs> um, pun intended. But, uh, you know, it, there's not a lot of activity going on. There's no, the you know, the idea of like hair metal with a montage with cats is like, yes, we have to do that because that is so far from what the reality really is. But it kind of captures the reality as we see it. And that's our interpretation of that world, which is, it's badass, you know?
1: And to me, it it sort of emphasized the need to have maybe like an artistic lens attached to an event like this. Like you go to a hockey game and, you know, if you're in the Stanley Cup finals, whether you watch it on TV or you're there in person, it's going to have more or less a similar like feeling of tension and everything. But I I did think that these shows needed that interpretation to help somebody who's not of that world really understand just how uh, passionate these people are about their cats and sort of what's at stake for them. And then also just, you know, some of the, the humor in all of it as well.
2: But well, that's, yeah, that's very well put. I mean, one of the biggest challenges was just trying to make sense of the competition um, because it is so nuanced and there's so much inside baseball going on. So, um, you know, part of our job as storytellers to kind of, uh, simplify or dis- maybe distill down to the essence of what it is. And in this case, it was, you know, it was, you know, one versus one, you know, it was, it was a boxing match between two cats. And, um, so yeah, thank you for, for acknowledging that. <laughs>
0: And did you have a a favorite human character to follow or favorite cat character to follow throughout this?
2: Uh, Oh, boy. You're making me pick favorites. Um, I don't know. Everybody was so nice to us. Um, I, I would say that there's certain people that when you turn on the camera, you're pretty confident something interesting is going to happen. And it just so happened that we had a couple of those people in the film and um, that kind of sets up the, the sequel, which is, we followed some of those people, you know, after the film and to see what happened next. And, um, and yeah, we weren't disappointed. I mean, the, the drama continued and the stakes continued. I mean, as, I mean, I, I tend to like more active cats, cats that are a little bit more play, playful and active so, um, yeah, I mean, all the cats were nice to me, though. They all, they all, they all know us. They all know the crew. Um, um, so, yeah, I can't really pick a favorite. That's too tough. I, I piss people off.
1: I think Bobby was my favorite in terms of personality. There's something kind of, I felt a little spunky about Bobby, but also kind of chill. Though I have to say my favorite cat to look at was Ulala. Sometimes I couldn't figure out where Ulala's face was. I just saw fluff, just a huge mound of fluff.
2: (laughs) Bobby is like, kind of like, you know, he's Mr. Personality. You know, he gets a lot of love. And as a, even when he wasn't competing, if he was what's called a pet me cat, he got a lot of attention and a lot of scratches and, and pets and stuff. But yeah, I mean there's no denying that Ula La is is a showstopper and when it comes to the the looks department. But uh, yeah, I mean I will say that my own my cats have a personality a little bit more like Bobby. So I was a little bit partial to Bobby's temperament, for sure. So much so that I would constantly confuse Bobby's name with the name of my cat, which is Bo. They're both B, but they both have kind of similar temperaments. So I'd I'd say, you know, <laughs> it got a little confusing.
0: I I have a question that is not meant to be offensive in any way. So please take this with a a grain of litter. Um, (laughs) So I I was watching this film and I I think one thing that stood out to me is, you know, I think people have perceptions, particularly of women who are cat obsessed, Mm -hmm. um, that there's a stereotype around them. Do you think this film at all maybe leaned into the stereotypes at all or gave validation to that?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really valid point. It's something that we definitely did not want to lean into on purpose. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm really aware of how that could be interpreted or even weaponized and used against us as, oh, here's our male filmmakers making a film primarily about female characters and and cats and stuff. Um, what I can say about that is, I feel like we we practiced some restraint. You know, we, we stayed away from cheesy um, puns and talking about, you know, we never said people were being catty, for example. You know, we never talked about the claws coming out and whatever. And uh, I'm happy we didn't do that. I mean, that's really a cheap shot and low-hanging fruit. Mm -hmm. And I think that the biggest, the reason why I think we did a good job is that the people in the film were happy with the film. Right, And if they're happy with the film, then I'm happy with the film.
0: I mean, that's pretty much Um, the most you can ask for, for, I think, in storytelling, too, when you're following certain subjects. Especially when you're trying to portray something in a more positive light that the people that participate don't feel exploited or um, misrepresented.
2: It's a really good question, though, and I I appreciate you asking that and, and not going easy on me because I am... And so, is Michael, like a male filmmaker, and you know we're walking to a primarily female space and pointing our camera at these people. Um, the other th- reason why I feel like we did a a respectful job at presenting it, the story and the people as they really were, was that we showed I hope, and I think, depth to the characters, so that even though feelings, got hurt at times, and people became emotional. Everybody was friends at the end of the movie. hmm You know, and, um, and even when the, when the competition was over, there was nothing personal between our two main competitors. Mm-hmm. Um, Lula, sorry, <laughs> Shirley and, and Kim always had a great relationship, and uh, I'm really happy about that that the real competition was between the cats and um and there was nothing no uh no hidden agenda or 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 and in fact i think even in there's a scene in the film which i think is i'm really happy we put in that kind of illustrates the the vibe which is that the two of them actually joke with each other about um you know about the competition. I think Kim says something to Shirley like, oh, I was hoping your plane wouldn't arrive so that, you know. You know it yes, too- oh, I yes, I uh, loved that yeah, moment. Yeah, it would be a shame if anything were to happen to your cat. Ha, 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 ha. And, you know, if if they really hated each other or if they were really catty people, they wouldn't be comfortable making that joke. So I think I think that's one of the the reasons why we included it.
0: Yeah, I, I really didn't get the sense oops, sorry, from now. watching that. No, I was just going to say that I didn't get the sense that there that there was any <coughs> intention into leaning into any type of stereotype but i was curious cuz i feel like that could that you probably had to be aware of what you were doing as you were making this film
2: for sure for sure i mean it would be very very easy to make a di- to make a different film or or a different style or go complete tlc on this and we didn't do that so mhm
1: And I really enjoyed those moments where you did show the competitive sides of Kim and Shirley, especially when they interacted with each other because they are so different. Kim is just so, I think, like extroverted as a personality and she speaks very openly and she's got this like, you know, big energy. And Shirley's quieter, but you can tell that there's something under the surface that she was, she may not say it, but she's thinking it. And I just, I loved how the camera would sort of focus on her in those moments, I'm like, I know you're not saying what you're thinking, but I know what you're thinking.
0: It's the quiet ones you have to worry about. (laughs) They're the most competitive.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah. She's, she's intense. Oh yeah. She's super intense. Shirley's super intense and quiet. And, and because she's good, like she's so good at, um, what she does, which when you have a, a Persian, you have to be excellent at grooming. And she's one of the best, mm-hmm. you know, and, and uh, if you don't think that Shirley, you know, she's so quiet and, and yeah, you'd be, um, you'd be forgiven into thinking that it, it didn't mean as much to her. But then of course, there's a few moments in the film that you really see that she gets really emotional. So yeah.
1: For your team, what was the hardest aspect of making this film and whether it was like a production issue or a creative issue, what was the biggest challenge that you faced?
2: Um... I think, um, I think the hardest thing, honestly, was trying to condense and distill how these cat shows work, how the world operates in a way that wasn't completely expository, but that was also somewhat entertaining. That was a real challenge. I mean, imagine, imagine if you tried to make a, a story about Babe Ruth, a documentary about Babe Ruth, and you had to explain the rules of baseball first, I mean, that would be so tough to do. But because nobody really outside of this insular world knows about the cat fancy, we had to explain it to people. So that was honestly the biggest
1: challenge. And what's next? I know that there might be something, you know, coming out later this year. Is there anything that you can share with us?
2: Sure. I mean, I will say that if you've seen the first film, you will not be disappointed with the second film. It goes a lot further and a lot deeper with some of the, the, the interesting characters that you don't get a lot of screen time with. And the, the way that the success of the first film impacted the lives of the characters is really uh, interesting and fun. I think. And it's a, it's a fun ride and it takes some really unexpected turns. And I'd say even shocking turns at times. Um, And it is in very many ways, a very different film. Um, But I think it's just as entertaining and also just as funny, but in, in, in a different way.
0: Well, I'm excited to watch this, uh, this little sequel. (laughs) That we that you have in the works. Uh, we have a couple wrap-up questions that are more rapid fire esque. But uh, first, I want to know about your cats. What are your cats' names? And if you could say one thing to them and they could understand what you were saying to them, what would you want them to know?
2: Um, so my cat's names are Bo and Fig. Bo is a long haired black male, and uh, Fig is a short-haired black female cat, and uh, if I could say, if they could understand one thing, it would be, um, it would be, uh, please, please stop scratching stuff when you're hungry. You will get your food. Just be patient. (laughs) Just, you know... This is why we can't have nice things.
0: <laughs> and then if if you could give a human voice to oolala, what would oolala sound like? And could you do an impersonation of that?
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay, let me think about that. Um Michael and I have joked about this a lot. I mean, I I thought maybe something kind of high, but we think actually something kind of like sexy and and low, like um, you know, like uh, um, <laughs> almost like a Doris Day, like a classic Hollywood, like a or like a breathy Marilyn Monroe kind of. <laughs> oh, I'm ooh la la, <laughs> come and look at me now. Uh, you know, some kind of a you know, Happy birthday, Mr. President. <laughs> Kind of a, like yeah, like something with a lot of sex appeal, like kind of a classic Hollywood.
0: That was way better than I could have anticipated in terms of an answer. Both of those, both of those. <laughs> well, on that note,
2: <laughs> Bobby, Bobby would have like a like like a hot like a hot guy um like a kind of like a I don't know like I'm I'm picturing like some like somebody from the cast of like Melrose Place or 90210 oh two one oh he'd have like a Luke Perry kind of voice like a hey man let's go party like uh, you know like kind of like a sexy surfer um they also kind of a little dumb you know um uh, which is fine you know you don't have to be dumb when you're as as good looking as Bobby is.
0: and that's yeah that is true of the real like for humans yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) yeah
2: exactly so uh yeah I, I you know I don't think either of them are like the smartest cats necessarily but they don't need to be they are just beautiful specimens Bobby's a like a good time dumb jock um and uh, ooh la, la like it's it's all about this kind of the sex appeal. Like, you know, like voluptuous. She's got that kind of classic Hollywood. Uh, if she was a woman, she'd be that real classic, you know, figure eight type. You know, she'd have big hips and, you know, she'd be, she'd be voluptuous and, and, and beautiful. So <laughs> I am not a... <laughs> Uh, This is part of the fun we had is, like, just there's something so goofy about assigning, like, these, uh, anthropomorphizing these cats in this kind of way. And I think with music, we tried to do that a lot. Like, um, there's this, there's a scene where Ulala is getting blown dry. And we have this, like, really kind of sexy, silky kind of slow (laughs) slow jam music. Yeah. just so (laughs) weird and weird and, like, actually kind of awkward and uncomfortable, but it kind of works, so...
0: Yeah. No, they the music choices are great in the, in the film for sure.
2: <laughs> yeah. So I look forward to, uh, for you, for you two to do uh, check out the the sequel and, and uh, maybe have me back if you want.
0: Yes,
1: yeah, we would love absolutely. to we would love to. And just for the singing we- alone, I think we have to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, thank you again for taking the time to, to chat with us and, uh, Giving us some insight behind the film and for also doing a, a very good Marilyn Monroe impersonation I, I was not expecting that out of this interview and i uh, I very much enjoyed that
2: no problem <laughs> i'll be I'll be here for the uh, eleven o'clock show later on tonight <laughs> okay take care
1: so that was pretty that was a pretty cool conversation I mean I really enjoyed the film, but this made me appreciate it even more and just hearing everything that went into figuring out who their characters would be, a little bit more behind-the-scenes insight into the competition itself. I'm ready for a sequel. I'm
0: ready for a sequel, and I I really want to see... I, I know I asked them about the Sphinx cats, but I really want to see a Sphinx cat take home a medal. I feel like that's my dream cat. If I were ever to get a cat, it'd be a Sphinx. I love the hairless cats. I, I'm obsessed with them. I follow so many accounts, and I think they're oddly beautiful. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Definitely <laughs> uh, oddly, but they have their charm.
0: Yeah, yeah. But it, it's an it's interesting because I, one of the things that I part of the conversation that I really enjoyed when he was talking about the the conscious choice and just the awareness of not wanting to lean into stereotypes of what people may have of mm. of cat people, essentially, especially women who are single and have cats. And having an awareness that there could be negative connotations to that, and more so just focusing on their love and relationship with the cats that they have, and in, in a very positive light, in my opinion.
1: Um, I thought that was such a I good question it, that you asked. By the way, I, I wasn't—I didn't know that you were going to ask that question, and it—it um, it, it was very smart. I don't think he was expecting it either.
0: Yeah, you know, we like to keep our guests on their toes. <laughs> 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 no, but it, I think, I, but that's what good filmmaking is though too, right? If you're wanting to, I mean, especially documentaries, you and I have worked in this space, you definitely can have an agenda with how you portray things um, and alter things to be a certain way, even if it's not really that way, but you can film it in a certain way to make it appear so, Um and obviously, I mean, if they're willing to do a sequel with him and have him follow along again, I think that is a testament to the trust that he built with the um, with the subjects. And the other thing that I thought was interesting that you uh, asked was about cats being filmed and how difficult it could yeah. be to film a cat. And you know, I guess when he was talking about feral cats versus pageant cats and just the pageant cats are like used to being performative and in front of the camera that they probably like, they probably do actually love it.
1: That made so much sense to me because I honestly, I couldn't figure it out. I was like, how are they able to get like, even some of those very close shots with all those cats? I mean, again, I, I walk into a room and the cats exit. And so, but when he said that, it, it made a lot of sense to me. And I th- mm-hmm. think what helps is that he clearly loves the animal as well. And so I think yeah. when you have a connection to the subject, like a personal interest, I think that you probably approach it, I think, both with a critical eye, but also a really empathetic one.
0: Yeah. No, I think it, they did a really good job with that. And I, I want to go to a cat competition now. I want to see this. I want to see this in action. I we want. Should. To that see so we should. That would be so fun. Let's plan a road trip. Let's plan a road trip. trip.
1: You can audition maybe to do like the (laughs) scene and sing. You can be like the halftime show at the Canadian Cat Cup. (laughs) (laughs) I would be
0: honored. I definitely want to bring Ruthie too, and I'm going to put cat ears on her and see if I can sneak her into the competition.
1: (laughs) She's going to look like one of those Sphinx cats. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, man. No, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. And we're going to have to interview him again when the next film comes out. For those who want to get more episodes like this and want to follow along, make sure you follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, iTunes. Leave us ratings on the podcast so it comes up on People's Algorithm, Who Love Animals... Also, Patreon if you want to give us money so we can keep doing stuff like this and bring you even more content. And yeah, if you have any suggestions, DM us on our...